Alright, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, so glad to be back with you this morning. Uh, summer school was fantastic two weeks ago. Tacoma, Washington, um, if you've never been to Tacoma, I would suggest you go. It was amazing. Um, hopefully we'll be sending leaders for years to come uh, to places like summer school to equip them, train them, raise them up. Um, Scott and Kendrick also spent last week uh, in Fort Worth learning from the City Church, church in Fort Worth that's very similar to what we're doing, um, and they are a church of missional communities, spreading the gospel, making disciples uh, in that city, and uh, lots that uh, I learned in Tacoma, summer school, a lot of head knowledge, most of all the deep soul work God did on me was just unbelievable, uh, and lots of we learned in Fort Worth, and so just appreciate your prayers for us. We were supposed to go to Huntsville next week for three days to get more training and equipping. Uh, that's been canceled by Huntsville, um, and so we're going to get together, the three of us, uh, and spend a couple days on like a leader's retreat, um, kind of go out to a cabin somewhere and just spend a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in the Word, a lot of time just thinking through, praying through how to take everything we've learned and apply that as a church, what applies now, what doesn't apply now, what do we need to wait on, what can we implement now. So just uh, please be praying for us as we do that. Um, it's our desire that uh, we will be so led by and sensitive to the Spirit of God that we hear His voice. We won't step until He tells us to step. We won't step where He wants us to step until we, He tells us to step in that direction. And so uh, we want everything that we do to be led by the Spirit of God. Everything we do to be directed by the Spirit of God. We want to be so Spirit-led that in five years we look back at the Crossing Church and everybody says, how did that happen? It's not, well, our plan worked. It's only God could have done that. And so there's a, there's a work of God that He wants to do in the city of Monroe that we're praying and asking that we will be a part of. Uh, we'll be discussing things like our gathering plans for 2015 on Sundays. When do we want to begin gathering every Sunday? How are we going to do Sunday gathering ministries like kids stuff? Uh, how are we going to handle tithes, offerings? How are we going to begin to call you to serve in our Sunday gathering setting? At the same time, um, understanding we want to be led by the Spirit in everything we do. Un- understand also where we're headed. We, we are heading to launch more and more missional communities in the city of Monroe and beyond. And so... Every single person that's in a missional community as a part of the Crossing Church, you need to be asking yourself this question. If I'm part of a missional community launch team, two families, some students, maybe two or three families, if I'm part of one of these launch teams and I'm going to be launched out to start a new missional community in my house in 12 to 18 months, what do I need to know or be able to do in the next 12 to 18 months so that I'm ready to go? Okay, if you're under the impression that we're just going to stay in the same mission communities forever, uh, just go ahead and just kill that. That's not what we're doing. That's not what we're after. We're raising up people to be disciple makers, to send them out to the city of Monroe, West Monroe, and beyond to build and form new missional communities. And so every single person needs to have that on the table. Every single person needs to consider themselves part of a launch team. You may not be the lead person, but you're going to be the the helping person that's going with them. And so what do you need to know in the next 12 to 18 months to be able to be be a part of one of those new missional communities that we're going to send out? And it's our job, led by the Spirit of God, to equip you and to help you and to assist you. But it's your job to say, what do I need to do? How do I need to begin to, to be poured into, to learn, to be equipped to? 
uh, be a part of this process to uh, be disciple makers who make disciples so that every person that's a part of the, the Crossing Church will be able to disciple others, help lead new missional communities, and saturate this city with the gospel. That's where we're going. Led by the Spirit of God, in the Spirit's timing, but that's where we're headed. And so pray for us as we figure that out as leaders, uh, that God would help us. In fact, let's, uh, let's just take a minute right now and just ask for His help. Father, we uh, love, uh, we're amazed that You came, lived among us, and died in our place so that we could be formed as the body of Christ. So that a group of people like this in 2014 could be in this building uh, broken, sinful, in need of the gospel every single day, but we could be gathered lifting our voices, singing and making much of Jesus Christ, being equipped and taught how to make disciples who make disciples. It's amazing. It's amazing. Never let us get away from the wonder of the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ in us, forming this, this church and God, in, in a city filled, in an area filled with 150,000 people, thousands, thousands do not get to experience this on a weekly basis. Thousands are dying and spending eternity separated from the God who created them, from the Son of God who died for them, from the Spirit of God that gives life. So here we are, your people that you want to send out. So make us ready. Equip our hearts, equip our heads. Begin it today, continue it beyond today. As we're learning this morning what it means to be a member of a church, help us to see that this is not to um, be part of a group that just enjoys each other. We're not, we're not forming a cruise ship just to have a good time until we die. Father, help us to see you're calling us to battle, you're calling us to action. Speak to us, Spirit of God, as only you can, and we'll sing your praises. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we continue this morning our series on convictions by looking at church membership. Uh, we've examined our doctrine as a crossing church, what we believe. We spent two Sundays looking at the church gathered. Why do we gather on Sundays, and what do we do when we gather on Sundays? Uh, a couple weeks ago, Titus' his dad taught us on the church scattered. Uh, what the church looks like when we're not gathered on Sundays, and how we live life and share life together as a church uh, scattered throughout the city of Gospel uh, of Monroe. Uh, whatever we do, um, we want to get to a point where we're making disciples and seeing gospel transformation. So that's how we kicked off the series, looking at the most important thing. As we gather, as we scatter, as we have membership, as we have leadership, as we have things that we believe, we're after Making Disciples and Gospel Transformation, okay? Today we look at church membership. Two basic ideas we're going to walk through. What is the biblical basis of church membership? And then what will it look like for someone to be a member of the Crossing Church? If you haven't picked up a uh, church membership covenant, we have some right here. Uh, most of you picked one up when you came in, but um, does anybody need one? Over here? Okay. Anybody else? Some of y'all might have one y'all can share. Alright, we're good? Yeah, I need one actually. Okay. That's the basic two ideas we're going to walk through this morning. A uh, little personal background. I've been in a, a traditional Southern Baptist church my entire life. And so, uh, letters of membership, transferring letters of membership, moving letters of membership is as much of my DNA as fried chicken and dinner on the grounds and fifth Sunday singing. 
Uh, if you don't didn't grow up in the traditional church or traditional SBC church, you may not know what anything I just said means, except for fried chicken, right? <laughs> uh, and so you may be wondering, what is he talking about? Well, in some churches, when you join, there's actually a letter. It's usually maybe the first letter of your last name or the first letter of your first name. Sometimes it's a random letter. It's engraved in wood. They actually take this letter of membership. They put it in a cedar box in the church basement. Every church around here has a church basement. Did y'all know that? Um, and that's your letter of membership. And if you move churches, they take that letter and they move it to the next church and put it in their box. And that's, that's how Baptists do it. Y'all, maybe y'all didn't know that. Um, I'm kidding. But there's always been a mystery around the letter of membership. What, what is the letter? How do you move letters? How do you transfer letters? Uh, when Jennifer and I joined a church in Lafayette a year after we were married, uh, I, I transferred my letter. All right, it was moved. And uh, she didn't have a letter. She didn't grow up Baptist. And so they actually had to make a letter for her. It's a big deal. She eventually got one. And uh, now she just has moved her letter around with me as, we've, as we follow the Lord. But our pastor in Lafayette, he had this desire to do meaningful church membership, so he actually mailed a letter, like a, a, a letter you put in an envelope. He mailed a letter to every member uh, of our church. It's like 500 people, even though 150, only 150 came on Sundays. And he, he asked them, he gave them a card and said, if you're a part of this church and Calvary Baptist means something to you, then just bring this card back. If you're, if you're uh, moved on, if you live somewhere else, if you're dead, then don't worry about it. Uh, just let us know that you're not really a part of this church anymore. Uh, but if you, if you really want to be a part of this church, then bring this card back at a special service. And, um, and, and got all the deacons all riled up. They got mad because he's trying to purge the church roles. We actually had this lady show up who was furious that we would ask her to do that, and nobody knew who she was. <laughs> I'm a member of this church. How dare you take my name off the church rolls? And we're like, who are you, lady? Um, and so that's when I began to get introduced to this concept of meaningful membership. Uh, church membership can be um, a source of pride. So Southern Baptists, I'm kind of picking on them because I've, I've always been one. Uh, take it as a source of pride that Southern Baptists are the largest Protestant domination in the United States of America. 16 million people. It's actually declining. It's under 16 million now. Even though everyone knows that fewer than half of those people are actively involved in their local churches. Like, it's, it's a joke. We're, hey, we're the largest Protestant denomination. No, it's actually about probably 4 to 6 million who are actively involved in, in those churches. Um, church membership, for some, can be a source of salvation. So as long as I'm a member, it must mean I'm a Christian. Church membership can be a source of having a place to be buried and have a funeral, literally. If I, if I stay a member in this church, I can get buried in their cemetery, and I can have the funeral in the church building. For some people, that's what church membership is. Um, I've seen some people um, listed as members who were either dead, they were unknown where they were, they lived in different cities, but they were members. I've seen some people who were committed, attending, serving, giving, a part of a church who aren't members. So how do you deal with them if they never really officially joined? Um, Gobs and gobs of bad examples and skewed and confusing views of church membership. It's been our conviction at the Crossing Church from the beginning that we would have meaningful membership. Okay, uh, church membership would be meaningful. That it's it's more uh, that being a member of a church is more than being a member of the Brookshire's Loyalty Club or being a member of a hunting camp or a golf club. Uh, that being a member of a church is more than a place where you pay your dues and help out because you, you reap some sort of benefit. It's more than being a place where you show up each week to check your box of religious duty because God is like a lucky rabbit's foot. And if you keep rubbing the rabbit's foot out of sh- church attendance and, and religious duty, then good things will happen to you. God's more than that. Uh, church membership is more than showing up at a place to be told every week how sinful and sorry you are. 
because you know, you're paying some kind of personal penance. Then if you show up in a place and you're told how sorry you are, then you've paid for your sins, and then you can go back to live any way you want to live and show up the next week to pay for your sins again. Church membership is more than that, right? Church membership, um, if you're, I, I think it would be accurate to say this. If you're a member of the Crossing Church, we will ask more of you than any church has ever asked of you before. All right? We will, as a Crossing Church, ask more of you than any church has ever asked of you before. But we will not ask more of you than Scripture already asks of you. Okay? It's taking everything that Scripture says, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a member of a local church, and saying, let's make it happen. Let's see it happen in the city of Monroe. Let's not be that cruise ship. Let's not be that country club. Let's not be six flags over Jesus. Let's be the body of Christ. Let's unleash the body of Christ in the city of Monroe. And so that's what our aim is in having meaningful church membership. Where does the idea come from? Is it even biblical? Um, Again, as we walked through a few weeks ago, about a month ago, to understand church membership, you have to grasp what the church is. The most basic form of the church is a community professing believers of Christ. Theologians distinguish between universal and local church. So universal church will be all true believers of Jesus at all times. Uh, Local church would be a gathering of professing believers of Jesus Christ. Most of the time, when you see the word church in the New Testament, it's referring to... Anybody want to guess? People. Local church, right? Uh, fewer times it, it refers to universal church, but most of the time when you see the word church in the New Testament, it does refer to a local church. What makes this all confusing is that you can actually be a member of the universal church and not be a member of a local church. That's very rare. It shouldn't happen except you have extenuating circumstances. It's not your desire. It's not what you want, but it, it can happen for a period of time. But you can also be a member of a local church and not be a part of the universal church. So you can have people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, and they're not. I mean, Jesus had this happen all the time in the Gospels. John 6, 66, many of his disciples quit following him and turned away because his teachings were too hard. Some people estimate that in places like Monroe and the Bible Belt, as many as 80% of the people who regularly attend church aren't really regenerate, aren't truly born again. I don't know about that. But uh, what I do know is church membership is biblical. Where do we see evidence for that? Well, the New Testament never explicitly says, Christian, you join a local church. So where do we get this idea of church membership? What you see in Scripture is you see explanations, you see details about how we are to live as the people of God that apart from being a member of a local church, how can you do that? How, how can that be possible? So let me walk through about four or five evidences. For instance, uh, number one, life in community. All right? Life in community. God has created us for relationships and life in community. We see this from creation. Before creation, God has always existed in triune nature. Father, Son, and Spirit has always been in relationship with Himself, right? Uh, before He ever created anyone. And when God created all things, He looked at man who had every creature every food he could desire in a garden, in the woods, and said, it's not good for man to be alone. I mean, even, even if that man were Ron Swanson, it's not even good for Ron Swanson to be alone. <laughs> Having everything you think his heart would desire, right? 
So God created woman in his image. The family was born. We're, we're born into community. We don't even choose to be born into community. We're born into community with other people called a family. Uh, God calls a people in the Old Testament to be his people in community, a nation. God, Jesus calls his followers basically in pairs. James and John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, to follow him. And when Jesus sends them out, how do you send them out? Two by two. Send them out in pairs so that we're always in relationship. We're always in community. Uh, look at the, the description of the, book of, uh, of the church in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So how can you have that experience apart from a local church being a part of a local church. How can that just organically happen because you're a Christian? And it just kind of just kind of jumps on you. You didn't even know where it was coming from. And that's people who are committed to Christ, committed to each other, joining together in life day by day. Number two, church leadership. So uh, church membership is implied through what we see in the New Testament in church leadership. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. So all through the New Testament, we see leaders in the church who have to meet certain qualifications, who are called by God, affirmed by the church as, hey, you're a leader, and then they go about living their life, equipping the church to be the church. Ephesians 4, 1 Timothy 3, First uh, Peter 5, we see all these things, okay? So if you're a leader, then inherent in being a leader is you have people following you. Like if you say, I'm a leader, and you turn around, and nobody's following you, you're just taking a walk, right? You're not a leader. Uh, and so implied in the fact that there are leaders in the church is there are people following their leadership. But notice, um, in fact, leaders there are, are held accountable for how well they lead. And no, notice also the leaders are... Uh, accountable for a certain group of people they're keeping watch over. So as leaders, Scott Kendrick and I, we're not accountable for every believer in the city of Monroe. That would be weird. Like people we've never met. Why are we accountable for their salvation and their soul? But this actual flock that we're leading, and, and, and if we don't have the local ch- church membership, if you don't have a local church, then how do you know who's in the flock? Right? How do you know who you're leading? How do you know who you're accountable for? And conversely, people who are following these leaders, they're following specific leaders, leaders that God has placed in leadership over them. So uh, church members are not held accountable to follow and submit to every leader of every church in the city of Monroe. I mean, that would be really weird because some of them want you to dress a certain way and, and they all want you to give your money to their church. And it'd just be a mess if you had to be accountable to every single church leader in the city of Monroe. So... There are certain leaders that are placed in leadership over certain flocks to care for their souls, be held accountable for that, and certain flocks are held accountable to follow the leadership of certain leaders. It's called a local church. How else can it happen? How else do you explain that? Thirdly, church discipline is another place where church membership is implied. 
Matthew 18, probably the most well-known passage about church discipline, verse 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Church discipline is essential. Every member choosing to make themselves mutually accountable to each other, to the body of Christ. And so if I am openly pursuing sin, I want, I desire my brother or my sister to lovingly, graciously come and say, what are you doing? Why are you living like this? Why are you so openly pursuing sin? So how does this happen apart from being a member of a local body of believers? People who love you enough, they will be motivated to come after you and have that hard conversation. They're willing to risk that relationship because they see you destroying yourself in sin, open, unrepentant sin. And you love them enough to receive it. Like maybe not at first because you get all defensive, like how do you think you are? How dare you talk to me like that? But... Because you see their love, because you love them, you're like, you know what, you're right. You're right. I need, to, I need to examine this. I need to see if there's something I need to repent of. We'll talk more about this later, but in 1 Corinthians 5, you have a recorded instance of this procedure being carried out by, for a man in the Corinthian church having sexual relationship with his stepmother. A sin, Paul said, that even the pagans or Gentiles don't commit this sin. This is really sick, Paul said. It certainly shouldn't be happening in the church. So in 1 Corinthians 5, 2, he says to them, And you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn over this man's sin? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Kick him out. He's professing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's openly, unrepentantly, brazenly committing this this sin that's so horrible even the pagans don't commit. He can no longer be a part of your fellowship. Kick him out. How can a follower of Jesus so openly... Uh, not live out the reality of Christ in them. How does that happen apart from membership in a local church? And then lastly, mutual edification. Mutual edification is approximately 47 one another passages in the New Testament written to followers of Jesus Christ. Be at peace with one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another, love one another, don't grumble against one another, tolerate one another, serve one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. And except for the last one, how do you obey those apart from being a part of a local church? I mean, even greeting each other with a holy kiss, you have to be a part of a local church to do that. We just don't do it. We, sh- we greet each other with a holy handshake, right? Or maybe a little holy side hug or something like that. Um, so how do you do those? How do you live out the one another's? How do you live out John 13, 35? By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How do we demonstrate to the world we're disciples of Jesus Christ and our love for one another apart from a local church? So taking all this together, along with the examples of the early church, that could be a fifth evidence, the example of the early church, the way that they organized themselves into local churches in cities throughout the Roman Empire, the, the letters to the churches, uh, the church at Philippi, the church at Galatia, the church at Colossae, the church at uh, Ephesus, even though they think that was a circular letter to a bunch of churches, the, the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, Pergamum and, and Laodicea and, and Thyatira and all those churches, Sardis. Those are written to specific local churches. Um, How do you understand all of this apart from being a member of a local church? It is something God has created for our good. 
for our maturation, for us growing up in Christ. We, we are created for each other. We are not created to be long-range Christians. We need each other, not just to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave to his people to go make disciples of all nations, but to grow in Christ. You, you're not going to grow as a follower of Jesus. You're not going to mature as a follower of Jesus on your own. It's just not going to happen. This is like the, the laboratory, right? This is where we, we work it out. We figure it out. Because this is safe. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. And we can sin against each other and know that, that it's going to be all right. They're going to forgive. There's much grace that we give each other. As we work together to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to Monroe and beyond. So, secondly, what are we asking of you as a member of the local church called the Crossing Church? As we walk through this covenant, this piece of paper, keep in mind we're, we're asking more of you than any church will ever ask of you. But we're not asking more of you than Scripture asks of you. So see if that holds true for you as we walk through these. Uh, I'm going to walk through the covenant and highlight a few things. So, number one, as a member of the Crossing Church, I covenant to submit to the authority of Scriptures as a final word on all issues of life, faith, and practice. And secondly, to seek the Lord Jesus Christ through regular Bible reading, prayer, fellowship with His body, practicing other spiritual disciplines. So the Scriptures are your foundation. Everything that we do flows from the Scriptures. The Bible says carries the greatest authority and the greatest weight. And we're asking you to covenant, to commit to a vibrant, growing, maturing walk with Jesus Christ. This is Christianity 101. Like if you're a follower of Christ and you're, you're already out, then you're really out. I mean, this is pretty basic. Number three, to follow the command and example of Jesus by participating in the ordinances prescribed in His church, to receive believers' baptism, to regularly remember and celebrate the person and work of Jesus Christ through communion. So, as I mentioned before, we do practice believers' baptism by immersion. We believe that this is the most biblical mode of baptism that gives the best picture of what baptism is. The mode is not as important as the fact that you've been baptized as a believer. So someone comes to us and they say, look, I was baptized as an infant but I've never received believer's baptism, how do I join? We would say, you need to receive believer's baptism. But if you come to us and say, I received believer's baptism, but it was by a different mode, sprinkling or what have you, then we would say, you don't need to receive believer's baptism because you've been baptized as a believer. The mode is not as important as the fact you received it publicly identifying with Jesus Christ, able to bear witness to the reality of the gospel in your life. And so... If you are like, I think I'm going to join this church, but I've never been baptized, or I've never been baptized as a believer, please consider that. Follow the example of Jesus Christ. Baptism is not salvation, but it is publicly identifying with Christ. His, his death, His burial, His resurrection is publicly identifying with His people. It's, it's our way of declaring to the world, I am with Christ. I'm following Him. I'm all in with Him. He's who I'm trusting for all of my salvation and all of my life. And I'm, and I'm with this people. They're my family and I want to go with them. And so I would encourage you, if you've never done that, talk to uh, me, Scott, or Kendrick, and we'll, we'll begin to walk you through that. Talk to somebody in your missional community. If, if you don't want to talk to us first, it's great. Uh, you don't have to come to us for everything. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God. You are fully able to talk to other people about truths and theologies. Um, fourthly, to regularly participate in the life of the Crossing Church by attending weekly worship gatherings, engaging in a missional community, and serving those within and outside of this church. So if you're a member and we never see you, then how can we share life with you? 
right? How can we know you? This is not about putting numbers on a board. Look at our numbers. They're growing. They're shrinking, whatever. It's not about sending numbers into the denominational headquarters to have something to brag about, even though, even though that's the question that, that Kendrick Scott and I get all the time from other people. Um, even our Halloween party last night, somebody was texting us this morning, how many came? How many came? I was like, tell her a thousand people came. Maybe that would impress her. Uh, we get that question all the time. How many people are coming? That's what people really care about. I'm, I'm just tell you this. We never talk about that. We never talk about how many people are coming. We talk about how are our people doing? What do our people need? How can we train them, equip them, send them out? Where are they at in their walk with you? How can we pray for them? We're not consumed by numbers. Read through the New Testament. God takes care of that. We're pursuing being healthy. We're pursuing your good, what is good for you. And um, so if we have a a member who drops out, and I'm I'm thinking of people right now, a member who drops out for a few weeks, it's like, okay, what's going on? You've been out of town? You've been sick? Okay, that's cool. How can we serve you? You've been sick, can we make you some food? If you've been out of town, can we come by and get your mail? Come by, come by and check on your dog, come sit on your couch and watch TV and eat all your food. Yeah. However we can serve you, let us know, right, if, if you drop out. But if it's just, I don't know, man, things have been rough, things have been tough, then how can we help you through that? And, and so you don't have the situation that happens in a lot of churches, guys. I've been a pastor for 11 years in traditional churches. It happens a lot. People drop out for months. Nobody cares. Nobody pursues them. Nobody calls them. I can't tell you the number of times I've had conversations with people who have dropped out and nobody has come after them. They see them in town. Hey, I miss you. Yeah, right. If you really miss me, you come see me. And we're not going to be that church. And so uh, you're committing to regularly participate. And if you don't regularly participate, we are committing to come after you. Not as Scott, Jared, and Kendrick, the leaders, but as your family. All of us are coming after you. We're coming and sitting in your driveway and uh, bothering you until we find out how things are. And, and look, if God calls you away, fine. If God calls you away to another church, we celebrate with you. Go with our blessing. Um, but if God calls you away from this church just to do nothing, then that's, that won't be okay. We'll press you pretty hard on that. Uh, number five, we will be uh, committing to be faithful stewards of all that God's given me. Time, talent, spiritual gifts, finances. I will give financial gifts, service, and time that is sacrificial, cheerful, and voluntary to the life of the crossing church. So we know that biblically, theologically, God owns everything. We own nothing, and everything we have as far as time, talents, and resources is a gift of God's grace to us for us to use, manage, and steward for the benefit of His kingdom to lay up treasures in heaven and for His glory. So it all belongs to Him anyway. We don't own anything. We may have titles and deeds, but it really belongs to God. And God commands us to give back to Him time, talents, and resources as, a, as an offering of sacrifice, um, literally all of it. Like it's not, I give God 10%, I keep 90. No, you, you give all of it to Him, right? Everything you are. For, uh, Romans 12.1 tells us we lay ourselves on the altar as living sacrifices. This is a spiritual act of worship. So you give it all back to God, and then God tells you, okay, this is how much I want you to use, time, talents, resources, and this is how much I want you to give to the, the spreading of the gospel, the furtherance of the kingdom of God, in a place like a local church. And so, as we give, we're not giving to um, the crossing church like our money because we've got to pay bills or we've got to pay the electricity or because we've got to pay staff. That's not why you give. 
You give out of obedience an act of worship, saying to God, I trust you, God, so much as my Father who meets all of my needs abundantly beyond anything I could ever ask or imagine, that I, I can return this to you as an act of sacrifice and worship, trusting that you're still going to provide. I'm going to have enough. I can live on 95%. I can live on 90%. I can live on 85%. It's always going to be enough. And this is, if this is something like you've practiced a lot of your life already, then you could stand up here and give these stories. Like, God's just allowed me to give, and He's always provided. And it, it hasn't been miracles always. It's just been God's just provided through people and circumstances and jobs and what have you. So, sometime in 2015... We're going to use part of our Sunday gathering to give everyone a chance to give tithes and offerings. We're going to use part of our Sunday gathering to give everyone a chance to use your spiritual gifts to serve, like in children's ministry and stuff like that. Uh, We're going to begin to have more and more opportunities for you to serve in your missional community, to go on mission together, to use your gifts in the life of your MC, right? Um, Before we get there, um, if you uh, consider yourself a part of the Crossing Church, I would encourage you to go ahead, send your tithes and offerings to the account we have at Summit. In Huntsville. Um, a lot of people in churches aren't comfortable talking about money. I'm like, why? Everybody has it. You have to deal with it. It's part of everyday life. Just be open and talk about it. I mean, it's, it's, Jesus taught on money more than just about anything else. Taught on possessions more than about anything else. Let's, let's just have an open, honest, transparent conversation with you about that. We're in the process of putting together a financial team that's going to make decisions about how we gather that money, how we deposit, how we spend it, what the budget would look like, and we're going to share all that with you. Like We're all about openness, transparency, honesty. We've got nothing to hide. Um, so how will we hold members accountable for that? Well, if, if the financial team looks at somebody who's a member and they've been here like six months and they've given, never given a dollar, then we're going to come to you and say, what's wrong, man? What's wrong? Have you lost your job? You're in a crisis, or you spend all your money to take care of your parents. Has something happened? I mean, what's going on in your life that we don't know about? We want to come alongside of you and, and help you and love you. Because, because where, you, where you spend your money is a reflection of where your heart is. Didn't that guy Jesus say that? Where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so uh, we all know that how we spend money shows what's in our heart. So if you're like you're this crazy lunatic fan of a certain team, you're going to have a lot of paraphernalia for that certain team because that's where your heart is and uh, if you're a crazy lunatic fanatic of Jesus you're going to be spending a lot of money on stuff that Jesus cares about laying up treasure in heaven and things like that and so um, we, we want to do that well we want to do that with grace we want to do that with with transparency and we'll be sharing more about that with you as we move forward but it's not hey I need to give to help pay certain people or pay to keep the lights on that's not why we're doing it uh, in fact I, I feel conviction I feel conviction because we hadn't already asked you to do that. Like we've asked you, but we hadn't really checked on it. So if you've given to our account summit, we don't even know, right? Um, we hadn't made sure that everybody's giving. And, and I feel conviction about that because I'm, I'm causing you to miss out on an opportunity to be obedient to what the Scriptures clearly command us to do. And so you begin praying through that, thinking through that, and we're going to do a better job of that in 2015. Uh, 6 through 11 really about how we live out our faith every day. You're, you're, you're committing to, by the power of the Spirit, the grace of God, for the glory of God, walk in holiness, so you're going to maintain sexual purity until marriage. In marriage, you're going to remain sexually pure to your wife. If your marriage gets to a point where you, you're thinking about divorce, you're not going to do that apart from 
uh, coming to the elders to have them walk through that with you. There are biblical grounds for divorce, not many. So we're never going to be just jumping at the gun to tell you to go get a divorce. We are going to call you to repent. We're going to call you to be reconciled, to believe the gospel. But there are times where it becomes irreconcilable, and there are biblical grounds for divorce. And so we would say, okay, you, you have biblical grounds. Uh, you're committing to abstain from legal drug use and drunkenness and gossip and other sinful behaviors and foolishness. Number 10 and 11, uh, even the freedoms that we exercise as Christians, we're not going to do them in a way that presents a stumbling block to other people. And so you see there just a, a, an overall view of how we walk worthy of the manner to which we've been called in our personal conduct, in our marriages, in our health, and how we partake of freedoms. We don't overstep our bounds to cause other people to sin, but we don't spell everything out black and white, like what to wear and what to drive and what shows to watch and what to eat or what to drink. We don't, we don't spell that all that out because the New Testament doesn't spell that, all that out. They didn't talk about driving at all, right? <laughs> and so we allow freedom because we trust the Holy Spirit to work in His body. We trust the Holy Spirit to work through His Word that He will guide His body. And there will be course corrections the Holy Spirit will bring about. Like if you're if you're vibrant in your walk with Jesus Christ, you get course corrections every week, every day. You're reading through the Scriptures, the Spirit is speaking to you, and you're saying, I stink at that. Holy Spirit, help me obey that. And we'll get course corrections like during this time. We'll get course corrections during our, our MC gathering times and when you're rubbing shoulders in your DNA groups with other believers. And so we trust that the Holy Spirit is going to work that out. And if somebody gets off the rails... Well, that's, that's where we have the next section on church discipline. If the above commitments are openly, and that's a key word, openly violated, then I commit to, number one, confess my sin to God and fellow believers when warranted. Number two, repent and seek God's help to put my sin to death. Three, submit to the elders and other appointed leaders of the church and fight for the unity and peace within the church. Four, follow the biblical procedure for church discipline when sin is evident in others with the hope of repentance and restoration. Five, Receive graceful, loving discipline when approached by a brother or sister in Christ. This is a willingness to be held accountable. It says openly violated. All of us struggle with sin. Church discipline is not about everybody taking their private struggles with sin and airing them before the whole church. That's not church discipline. These are open violations of sin that are public. Private sins are dealt with privately. Public sins are dealt with publicly. So someone's openly walking in sin, we are committed to, be, to confront this person with love, with truth, with grace, that the aim is restoration and repentance. That's what we're going for. Like our goal is not, here are the rules, you step out of line, you're out. That's not our goal. Our goal is to come along you as a brother or sister in Christ and say, I love you. So I've got to tell you this. Tell me if I'm wrong. And have that hard conversation. In the hopes that if, if I'm right, if this is open, unrepentant sin, that you will repent. I mean, right then you may want to punch me in the face, but the Spirit of God will work on the child of God. Eventually, eventually you will repent. Because if you don't repent, then that's evidence you're not a child of God. And you don't need to be a member of a church until you have been transformed and made alive by Jesus Christ. So I've seen church discipline done wrong. In the first church I pastored, we had some records we found from an old business meeting in the 30s. And church was actually used as a verb. So Brother Billy Bob was churched because he went fishing on Sunday. 
are, this is real, real records, are because he was playing cards, or because he was found dancing or drinking, all right? And so this was public business meeting. I wish I would have kept them and had copies, right? Um, and that might be, because it was so abused back in the day, it might be why this pretty much disappeared from the church since then. Church discipline done, done right leads to repentance restoration. So the example in 1 Corinthians 5, that man was cast out. He was actually later restored, and Paul said in 2 Corinthians, receive him back. He repented. That was the goal. That was the aim, repentance. Or the couple uh, I've known for about 10 years, I've been in conversation with for about six weeks. They're not part of us. They, they actually live in different places. But uh, she called me six weeks ago. I think we're going to get a divorce. Well, why are you going to get a divorce? You've been married 20 years. Uh, we're just tired of fighting. We're sick of each other. Well, that's not biblical grounds for divorce. Like that can happen every week in some marriages. So let's talk through this. Let's walk through this. And, and being able to stand on the authority of God's word and say, I can tell you, if you get a divorce for those reasons, that's not biblical grounds for divorce. If you pursue something that is sinful openly, unrepentantly, you may in fact prove you are not a believer because a child of God confronted with the Word of God, with the Spirit of God alive in them, will always conform their life to the, the truth of God. And so thankfully, by the grace of God, six weeks later, they're not pursuing a divorce. And now we're trying to walk through how, I mean, they live in two different places. They're separated right now. Anyway, how, how do I walk through this where I'm at? I'm trying to plug them in with some other local believers to, to help them out. But... That, that's an example of what church discipline can look like, repentance and restoration. Church discipline guards and protects the Christians. I've heard too many stories. Uh, just this past week, a man leaving his wife and his children for another woman. And in some cases that I've heard before, openly bringing that other woman into the church with his wife and his children sitting across the room. Like that's not happening in the cross of church. We're, we're going after him. We're pursuing him with love, might be a little bit tougher love, with grace, but we're going after him and says, you can't do that. You repent, return to your wife, or you have to go. Because that's, that's not going to happen in this body of believers. So it guards and protects Christians. There's a lot more to this. Love covers a multitude of sins. How much do we correct? What, what sins call for discipline? How do we walk through this? And as we figure this out, we're going to be openly communicating this process that leads to repentance and restoration. But... But understand this also, church leaders, we're subject to this as well. So there's no like, we're way up here, we can't be touched, and this is all for the riffraff. There's none of that. All right, Paul deals with how you admonish elders in 1 Timothy 5. And so if, if you see us as leadership or your MC leader eventually when we have different MC leaders getting off the rails, there's a way to deal with that. There's a way to pursue them because of their open sin. And then the last little section, if for some reason I choose to leave the church for righteous reasons, I will notify the appropriate elder, missional community leader, and seek membership in another church where I can participate in the life of that church as a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, notice there's a place for you to sign and a place for your MC leader to sign. If we're primarily organized through missional communities, it does not make sense for someone to be a member of the Crossing Church unless they are also sharing life in our missional communities. It just That's no-brainer for us. So someone cannot join until they have begun to share life, not, not, not like show up once or twice, but they begin to share life so much so that their missional community leader can say, I know them. They are followers of Jesus Christ. They believe the gospel. They can articulate that. They can give, bear witness to the reality of the gospel in their life, and they are sharing life with them. Okay, let's, let's talk about them being a member then. Um, 
how will all of you join? How will future people join? Well, it's not going to be done by walking the aisle at the end of the service. So if you're looking forward to that, sorry. Uh, unless someone is, is being baptized, we, we, we will have baptisms um, in, our, in our Sunday gatherings. Uh, it will all happen through our MCs. And so if you see this sheet and you see a place to sign and you want to join, talk to your MC about it. Talk to your MC leader about it. And we'll begin to walk through that process. Uh, there's going to be some follow-up questions to talk about this week in your missional community as you gather, whether it's today or Wednesday or next Sunday. Uh, so many passages could be used to tie this all together. But let me show you one, 1 Peter 2, 9-12. through 12. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So verses 9 and 10 speak about our identity. This is who we are. Once we were not his people, now we are his people. We are chosen. We are a royal priesthood. We've been called out of darkness into light so we may proclaim the excellencies of the one who's done this amazing work in us. After identity comes responsibility. This is what you do. You live in such a way that you abstain from the passions of the flesh. You live in such a way so that even when non-believers say, that sorry, no good, terrible person, hypocrite, they may be speaking about the righteousness that we're demonstrating in Jesus Christ and give glory to God on the day of visitation when Jesus returns. That's how we live. Our identity leads to our responsibility. This is who we are. And this is how we live. And by God's grace, let's be that people. Let's commit to be that people together so that Monroe sees the crossing church. That's where Jesus is. And that's where Jesus is being demonstrated and lived out. Father, we are so thankful for your grace that makes this possible. Overwhelmed, overjoyed, blown away that you would do this with us. Father, we know we have worth and value because we're created in your image. But sometimes, Father, because of our sinfulness, our selfishness, um, we, just, we just want to worship you and thank you. Thank you for calling us from darkness into light. Thank you for calling us from, the, from death into life. Thank you for calling us from being far away from you to being near to you, close to you. Thank you for calling us from not being your people to being your people. In some amazing way, we get to demonstrate you to the world. It's crazy. But we're overwhelmed and we thank you. Now we want to worship you for that. God, I pray especially for for anybody here that, that this just hasn't become a reality. Or maybe right now where they're sitting, they're repenting of sin. They're believing in Jesus for the first time. They're trusting in Christ and the gospel. God, I just pray that you would make them alive. Call them to life and allow them to believe in the good news of Jesus Christ and then enable them, empower them, give them the faith to share that with somebody else. Um, We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.